having so much fun doing that every week, I said to him, there are so many times when you want to sing some of the songs we just did after the message, especially when you hear the message. And we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. But every so often we come together on a Sunday morning and I want you to listen to the songs as well as respond to the songs and sing and express the songs. Recognize how many times they tie into what's going to be shared. On uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to kind of flip things around and spend some time in the Word and then spend time in adoration and finish that way. And there are so many Sundays that I almost wish we could do that every week. And it's a little bit difficult to do that just based on dynamics and, and those kind of things. But listen carefully to the words of the songs that we express and then tie them in to what we're about to share this morning in the context of this particular message. There's a lot of information in your bulletin. I trust you'll be uh, aware of all of that. There are some great things going on, some great things that have gone on, and some great things upcoming. So make sure you read about that very, very carefully. This Saturday night is a Cutlass concert, the video that you saw at the beginning about all of those groups. Some of the best songs and some of the best artists in the Christian market today are going to be here in our sanctuary next Sunday night or next Saturday night. So if you haven't gotten one of those tickets, make sure that you do. They're selling out fast and probably be sold out. Last night, last night we had the Butler Symphony here. They were phenomenal. If you ever had the opportunity to hear them, make sure you do that. And just so pleased to be able to see what God has blessed us with and the opportunity we have to share this particular sanctuary with so many people and so many artists. And so I trust you'll continue to encourage people to come on a regular basis. Got some great things coming up for children, youth, and adults. Life groups are in your bulletin. Make sure you read those carefully. Uh, Jolt coming up in our uh, youth ministries on October the 9th, a great opportunity for family night at the Taylor Farm, hot dogs and a hayride, and just a lot of great things. One of the largest events children's ministry has that particular night. So your children are going to be hearing some information about that. So make sure you get signed up and take them. We always see it. that place have a great time. How many of you have ever, I want you to be really honest, you don't have to respond, but how many of you have ever heard a sermon and then you kind of tore it all apart? Trying to figure out, do I want to raise my hand to that one or not? What's the right answer? How many of you have honestly heard a sermon and you pretty well analyzed it as to what it did to you, how it spoke to you, whether it was powerful, whether it was inspirational? or informational. Heard from a half a dozen of you last Sunday about the message and the time together and the Word of God as well as the worship experience. And and I've got to believe there were a lot of things running through your mind as to why that one impacted you personally or particularly. I did some calculation this week and found out since I've been here, I have shared almost 810 sermons. In my 37 years, 1,550 sermons that have been shared. So when someone says that was really good or that was well done or one of your best, it's trying to put it into context of all that has been shared throughout the years. But if we're really honest, every once in a while we'll hear a message or a messenger and and we'll begin to look at it as to how it impacts our life. Whether I really want to change some behavior based on what I just heard or whether I want to dig deeper into the scripture that was just shared But all of us at one point or the other have, maybe you do it on a regular basis. Maybe you do it every Sunday for dinner. I don't know. Some people say we we have the pastor for dinner every Sunday. I don't remember being there, but we analyze and talk about all that went on and what took place. and, And so I get all of that. And maybe you do that on a regular basis. Maybe not. But have you ever done that with a prayer? 
Have you ever done that with a prayer? And I will say, well, no, that's personal. That's words spoken to God. That's a heart expressed to God. And I'm not going to analyze that as I would maybe a sermon. Prayers are uniquely different. Some of us grew up in circles where prayer seemed so formal, almost as if it was written out in liturgy that didn't seem to have any power that went behind it. Could have read it anywhere, and it sounded like they have read it anywhere. My dad prays in King James. Fascinating to me. He doesn't talk that way on a regular basis, but when I hear him pray, I love to listen to him pray, but he prays in King James. Some of us find ourselves having situations where we really felt like prayers that they just prayed in a moment touched heaven. And others left us, if we're honest, kind of cold. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone give a mini sermon in a prayer. They want to make sure the whole message is communicated. They, they have this opportunity to prayer. They love that setting. I, I lo- you all know that we, we watch NASCAR. I know you're surprised by that because I seem like such a structured, formal young person. Old guy. And, and I love to listen to Joe Gibbs pray. And every once in a while, they give him the opportunity to do that. And he will always incorporate in the prayer the gospel message. And the salvation relationship that we can have with Jesus. And I, I'm fascinated by that. I love the fact that they give him the opportunity to do that. And I love the fact that they actually show that on national television. There are other people that give information in prayers. I don't know if you ever grew up in a context where when the deacons or the ushers came forward and prayed, they would pray for the offering. Some of them were scared to death. I've had a number of people on a number of occasions don't ever ask me to pray out loud. It would scare me to death. I would die right on the spot. But some of them will give information in their prayers. I've, I've heard that. God, in the name of Jesus, we're so delighted about today. Father, I just wanted you to know about Mabel. She's in Butler Hospital. I didn't know if you knew that. She's in 6102. And I've often wondered what it was like in heaven where God was saying, I wondered where she was. Now, maybe none of it, you got to remember, I've grown up in church all my life. And so from every aspect of Roman Catholicism to Presbyterian to Pentecostal to CMA, I've been in church all of my life. And I've heard prayers from so many different vantage points. Sometimes you feel like they could raise the dead. And others seem kind of flat. How many of you are raising kids and love to listen to your children pray? One of my favorite moments as a dad and now as a grandfather is listening to my kids pray or being with them when they pray. One of the favorite things I did, no matter how often I was out or how late I got home, I made sure that if my kids were still in bed or still ready to go to bed and you went through all the transition of one more drink of water, one more drink, I've got to go to the bathroom. Well, no wonder you just had one more drink of water. I've always wondered how they don't get that those two go together. And I love to listen to them pray. They're so honest, so open, so vulnerable. Talk about their heart, talk about their animals, talk about life, talk about everything. I, I every once in a while will look up kids' prayers or hear kids' prayers or someone will send me their children's prayers. One was, dear God, I went to church to a wedding and they were kissing. Is that okay? Father, thank you so much for my baby brother, but I really wanted a puppy. I love the honesty of that. 
I have a lady here every once in a while, I call her up or I'll write her a note and say, okay, tell me a, a Lukeism. What, what, what's he doing now? And she'll tell me some of his prayers. And, and a couple of them went like this a, a while ago. <coughs> he said, God, I want you to help me write my name soon. Those K's are really tricky, God. Please help Walmart to have a lot of new toys tomorrow when mom goes shopping, especially that Ninja Turtle tool. That's really cool. She was saying one time as they went to bed the night, it was just pretty tough. Everything was getting strained and, and it didn't go really well. And then the next night, things went exceptionally well. And, and this was his simple prayer. God, thank you so much for making mommy nicer tonight. <laughs> my, uh, my, my, my grandson Isaac, I love listening to my grandchildren now pray. My grandson Isaac will say, God, thank you for mommy and daddy and Julian and Isaac and me. And I realize he's thanking God twice for himself. <laughs> and, and Seth will always say, and God, make Pap a, a good boy. I appreciate that. I'm not sure if those prayers are being answered, but I'm doing my best to abide by that. If you've ever had the opportunity or ever want to take the opportunity to study prayers through Scripture, I encourage you to do that. Jesus' prayers, Isaiah prayers, Paul Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, write that down somewhere in your sermon notes. Those are some of the most powerful prayers ever written in Scripture. This morning I want to take you to Nehemiah, next character. We're going to be with him for a couple of weeks, Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to analyze his prayer. We're going to look at aspects of his prayer, and then I'm going to tie it in to preparing for communion out of 1 John chapter 1. So if you listened to Phone Tree yesterday, you've already read that ahead of time. You have your sermon notes in there. Nehemiah's prayer is the very beginning of the book. Uh, The character that we've been in, Old Testament character, Jeremiah last Sunday morning, Jonah. We're going to be with Nehemiah for a while. We're going to talk about Esther and Ruth and David. There's some great, great stories in some of these Old Testament characters. And this morning, I want to concentrate on this one. Now, Nehemiah had just received some bad news. You all know there's difference between, obviously, bedtime prayers and mealtime prayers and really intense bad news prayers. And so I get all of that. They're not all going to be the same. You don't always want them to be the same. I don't know if you've ever been with anyone who forgot to have their devotions in the morning and you ask them to pray for the lunch and they have their devotions in the context of the prayer and lunch is already cold. Not talking about that, but I am talking about the diversity in this context of what we see when you receive some bad news. And this is what he does. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah, Nehemiah chapter 1. Came from Judah with some other men. I questioned him about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Remember, if you don't know anything about Old Testament history, the Israelite nation was in exile a number of times all the way through their history. God said, if you are obedient, if you follow me, I'll bless you. If you're disobedient, there's a price to pay. You heard that in the Jonah series. They said to me, those who survived in exile, verse 3, are back in the providence. They're in great trouble and disgrace. Wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandment, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear your servant Hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly toward you. 
We have not obeyed those commands, decrees, and laws that your servant Moses said. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses? If you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even in your exile, people who are in the farthest horizon, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They're your servants and your people, whom you redeem with your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today and grant him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer of the king. In these few verses, I believe today Nehemiah will give a clinic on prayer and next week a clinic on work and work ethic. Now, obviously, as I said before, realize the difference between bedtime prayers and nighttime prayers and prayers when you have bad news. But in this particular context, you see a number of things. He recognizes right up front that prayer is not the last resort, but our first response. It's not the last resort. You heard that phrase, well, at least we can do, or the least we can do is pray. Why we would ever quantify it within that context, I don't understand. That's one of the most powerful things we do. That's one of the greatest things we do. It's one of the greatest things we offer people who are going through deep waters. To know that they are being interceded for. Sometimes we don't feel like we know what to say. We don't feel like we know how to say it. We, our emotions are so drained. We're so spent out. And to know that there are people who are walking through life with us, who are praying for us, who are interceding on our behalf, who know the pain that I feel, know the anxiousness that I have in my heart, know the situation that I'm going through. And I sometimes don't know what to say. And to know that I can say to someone, will you pray for me? And know they're going to touch heaven. One of the things that I love about my mom is that no matter how many times or how often I will say to her, Ma, I need your prayer, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt she will pray. I have found, now maybe not you because you're not near as old as I am, but I have found when I say to somebody, I'm going to pray for you or I'll pray for you, I need to do it right away. Now, maybe you don't, but I have found in the last number of years that I need to do it right away. Now, part of it is I'm barraged by needs and information, so sometimes it gets lost in the context, but I I do it right away. You also notice his his posture and his intensity. Sat down and prayed. I, I got down before God. All the way through scripture, you'll see a number of different postures. Now, I grew up in a context where we had to stand to pray and we had to stand to read the scripture. That's a context I grew up with. There's nowhere that that's written that it's supposed to be that way. Matter of fact, I said to Dave on a number of occasions, there's nowhere it's written we have to pray for the offering. We do because that's what we've always done. You notice his posture, I I, I sat down before God, I, I just so overwhelmed with emotion, I just want to spend time in his presence. He can't help but notice his intensity as he prays. Prayer isn't just about the words that are said, it's about the emotions behind the words. That I really honestly am expressing my heart to God. It doesn't have to be out of a manual, it doesn't have to be out of a book, it doesn't have to be written out so that I make sure I'm saying it right or saying it well. It's just a, an expression of my heart and my emotions to God. And I, I get the uncomfortableness when, when someone would say, well, don't ever ask me to pray out loud or in public. I, I get that because sometimes we just don't want to be in this setting we're, we're not used to. 
But it's not, again, about making sure that it's said right or done right. It's an expression of my heart to God. The beauty of our relationship, as Pam talked about a moment ago, is that I can come to him at any time about anything. And I don't have to worry about making an appointment. I don't have to worry about trying to get through. I don't have to worry about making sure that I say it right. I can just express my heart to God. Now, maybe you have people in your life where you can be that honest and vulnerable with. Maybe you're the opposite of that and feel like you can be honest and vulnerable with people, but not necessarily with God. And what I love about God is he wants that. He wants that. You will also notice the word fasting. So often I've heard people say, well, let go and let God. You took it to the altar, you took it to God in prayer, now walk away. And I get that because he doesn't want us to be consumed with that or act like we're not trusting him. But you see what he says in here, day after day after day, I sought the presence of God. Jesus said there are some things that only come out by prayer and fasting. Now the concept of fasting and waiting on God doesn't fit well in our fast-paced instant gratification, instant answer age. But some answers, if we're really honest before God, come only by spending time waiting on God in prayer. We don't do well with that. I'm not tech savvy at all. Got a lot of tech stuff. I'm not tech savvy at all. But I'll be really honest with you. When I type in to a search of some kind what I want, I expect an answer. And when I'm sitting there going, seriously, how slow is this computer? Why doesn't it just spit out the information? And for those of you who live in this field all the time, you're, you're familiar with that. And, and, and we, if we're not careful, we get that way with God or praying to God. And he said, look, I spent day after day after day praying and fasting. Fasting is, again, a concept that many of us may not be familiar with. Celebration of Disciplines, Richard Foster, one of the best books you'll ever read on the disciplines of the spiritual life. And one of them is fasting. Giving up, spending some time away from whether it be eating or television or reading the news. Whatever I do out of a habit, what do I do that so often and I want to take away from that or set that aside for a while and just spend some time with God. And it's never giving up to get. It's never giving up to get. So you're not fasting, giving up meals or giving up TV or giving up the newspaper, whatever that may be, so that I get something from God. Or just giving it up to make myself feel spiritual or connected for a while and then going right back into it. Lent, you all know that many people celebrate or, or participate in Lent as we get closer to the Easter experience. And, and what I have found through my years of watching people sometimes is they're giving it up for a while and then go right back into it. Some things only come by prayer and fasting. Or instead of that hour of lunch or that hour of watching or, or whatever, I'm spending some time with God. Now, hopefully you spend time with God every day of your life. But in this case, because of the intensity of the circumstance and the situation, I want to spend some time with God. You also notice how he starts, not flippantly, comes with all respect and reverence. Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. <coughs> One of the things you'll notice through scripture is a balance in that. Some people come to God in awe and respect. Uh, some of us who grew up in more formal churches, 
are a little bit disillusioned when they come to a church like ours because there's not quietness and solemnness. Because you grew up that way. You walked in church, it was quiet. You walked in church, it was reverent. But there's a balance in Scripture when I can come to God and say, Papa, Abba. Now, I don't come to my dad when I really have a need in prayer saying, Dad, almighty, awesome Father, who is so powerful you could break me with your hands, who I know no matter what I have done, you would find out, and you would beat me because of what I have done. But I come to you asking, is there any chance you could give me $5 for gas? I didn't come to my dad with that. I just said, Dad, I worked hard this week. Can I have at least five bucks for gas? But there's a balance in Scripture. We don't, hey, God, what's up? Don't come to God flippantly. But at the same time, there's a a tremendous balance in Scripture between awe and reverence and respect and recognizing that I'm talking to the God of the universe who loves me, as Pam said this morning, like a father or a mom loves her children. I can come to him, Abba, Papa, I really, really need you. Notice, obviously, his honesty. Let your ear be attentive. May your eyes be open. May you hear what it is that I'm saying. And then look at how he includes himself. He admits his sin. He admits his own need. Three, four times he uses the word we. We're not careful, and I, and I want to say this well, but sometimes Christians and those in church have a tendency to think we're a whole lot better than those outside the door. And they're wrestling with this and that, and the sins are many times obvious, and, and we're dealing with the sin of gossip and tearing people apart and never somehow equate the fact that it's just as evil in the sight of God. What I love about, Jose, or what I love about Nehemiah is his honesty is saying, look, I, we are, my, me, my family, we. Over and over again, he uses that we phrase. There's so many times, a whole other character study would be Moses. I could spend months on Moses. But there was a time when God says to him, look, I'm tired of these people. Every time I give to them, they whine. Every time I don't respond immediately, they want to turn their backs on me. I'm tired. Man, I just want to wipe them all out. And, and Moses said, God, I, I get it. I understand that. But if you do, I want you to take my name out of the book. His love, his identification with the people was phenomenal. And, and Nehemiah said, look, we, we, we have sinned. I have sinned. And I need to confess that. We as a nation have sinned horribly. And that classic phrase that we use so often, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we pray intensely for our nation, and I hope you do. But it's not just that they have sinned and as the nation has sinned, we have, I have. And it's understanding that. Confessions and the presence of God in your sermon notes is a recognition of who he is, what I've done, what I need God to do, and what I need to do or what I need to cease doing. I want you to turn just for a minute this morning to 1 John chapter 1, one of the most powerful sections of Scripture as a, as a pastor writing to his people who have so many different spiritual vantage points. Some of them see themselves as without sin. Others see themselves on a higher spiritual plane than other people. Some claim to have a relationship with God but seem to have no evidence of that at all. And John writes to them and gives us a a model of what we need to understand in regards to the context of what Nehemiah just did in confession. 
He begins by saying this in verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him, and now we declare to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. This is a message we've heard from him. Who's the him? Jesus. What's the message? God's light. God is pure. God is honest. God is righteous. Not based on his actions, but based on his very essence. You may have a hard time trusting people. You don't have to wonder about God. He can be trusted always about everything all the time. Now, if I claim to have fellowship with that God and I continue to walk in darkness, then I'm lying and not living by the truth. Now, if I claim to have fellowship with him, that is God, I can't walk in darkness at the same time. Fellowship refers to a partnership, which is more than a casual relationship. It means I'm connected to, we're going in the same direction. You don't have fellowship with your wife or your husband. You have a partnership. You have an intense relationship with them. You're connected to them. You're moving in the same direction. I'm more than an observer of Christianity. I'm a participant. More than a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple. Jesus had lots of followers. Didn't infer a relationship. If I'm going to claim that I'm a disciple of Jesus, then I can't allow darkness into my life. I've got to be honest. I I need to be trustworthy. I can be honest. I can be trustworthy. If I claim to have a relationship with God, yet I continue to live in some form of sin, then I'm lying about my relationship with God. Now, if that's all the further you read, it feels like then I have to be perfect without sin. But if you read on in verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. When John refers to walking in darkness and walking in light, he's referring to a lifestyle, a pattern of behavior. One commentator defined walking in darkness as this, living habitually in sin. I know the difference between right and wrong, and I still choose to do wrong. Scripture says, I can't claim to have a relationship with God and do that. Know the difference between right right and wrong and always continue to do the wrong. I may have a knowledge of God, but not a relationship with him. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have a connection. And the blood of Christ purifies us from all sin. One of the key ingredients in your notes about confession is to agree with God what his light shines on. When you're in the darkness and someone turns on the light, it's, it's harsh at first. But it's good because it shows you the danger. Secondly, make sure you have someone in your life that you can be honest and transparent with. Everyone needs to have a place and a person where they can be honest and open and vulnerable. I have some advice in there that I want to make sure you underline and read very carefully. Be very careful and selective about who you open up to. Some people will say, wouldn't it be great in a large church like this uh, where we could all be honest and vulnerable and tell all our stuff? You can't do it in an environment like this. That's not the intention of what it says about confess before the church. Have those people in your life that you can be honest and open and vulnerable with. Be selective as to who you trust, who you can open up to, who can keep a confidence, who won't be overwhelmed by your issue. Practice genuine and regular confession. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The price has already been paid on the cross of Calvary for my sins. But when I continue to live in sin or I continue to wrestle with sin, even though the price has already been paid, I've got to be honest with God about what I'm still dealing with and what I need to identify. I have some ingredients of Confession, self-examination, and we'll read that section in a minute. 
some honest, genuine repentance or sorrow, a desire and a determination to stop that behavior, to be honest with God, to be specific, and to be accountable. You don't sin generally. Father, if I've done any sins today, if I've sinned in omission or sinned in commission, you don't sin generally. You know what it is. You know what you did. You know the lie you shouldn't have said. You know the thing you passed on that you shouldn't have passed on. You know the thing that you watched that you shouldn't have watched, the phrase that you said that you shouldn't have said. You know the anger, the bitterness that came out. You don't sin generally. We're pretty specific about our sins. We know what they are. So be honest with God. Father, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have felt that. You know what I said today? I I told him I did whatever that may have been. Be very honest and vulnerable before God. Every time we celebrate communion, I refer to and often quote a section of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 11. John is, or Paul is writing to a church who's really dysfunctional, who has a lot of junk going on, issues they've not addressed, stuff that's dividing people. And he talks about, in all of the churches that he could have written to, this one was one of the most powerful moments ever talked about in Scripture, and that is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. He said, I want to tell you what I heard. I'm going to pass it on to you, what I know took place. The Lord Jesus, the very night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it and blessed it and passed it out and said, this is where you get life. This is my body given for you. You receive life from that. After supper, he took the cup and he passed it out and he said, no longer the shedding of rams and bulls' blood or pigeons sacrificed. I am now the ultimate sacrifice for your sin. I will give my blood as a cleansing. God says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And I know you want to be forgiven, so I will shed my own blood. And you will receive cleansing and forgiveness and grace. But he goes on. Whoever eats drinks in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body of blood of Christ. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Many of us grew up in a context where before we had communion, we had to have confession. In many of those contexts, it was to a person. What I love about what Scripture says is we can come directly to Jesus No longer does man have to be the mediator between us and God. The Lord Jesus himself, Hebrews tells us, is our mediator between us and God. So right now, in the presence of Almighty God, I can come to him through Jesus Christ, who shed his blood and offered me forgiveness and gives me grace directly to the throne of God and ask forgiveness and receive mercy and grace. I'm going to watch a video clip for a moment. It's going to take all these Old Testament stories and and kind of tie them up as to why they're so powerful, why they're so relevant. Pointing to something, and you'll see that in a second. At the end of the video clip, the communion stores are going to come down. Dave's going to play. They're going to lead us in singing. I will then come back up and lead us in communion, and then we'll celebrate what God has done and what God has given. Before you eat the bread, before you drink the cup, we need to understand the power of confession And the freedom that comes with that. But the honesty before Almighty God. Because our sin cost God everything. And I never, ever want to take it lightly. Father, hear our hearts. Hear our prayers. 
Listen to our voices. Listen to our honesty. Thank you that, Father, you have given us access through Jesus Christ, our Son. You have given us the Spirit who can sometimes take even the inner groanings that I can't put into words and present them before you. So hear us as we spend time listening to you. given so that we can have life, his blood shed so that we can have forgiveness. What an awesome gift we have in Christ. Receive it from him this morning. Jesus, again, the words thank you seem so inadequate compared to the gift. But we are grateful. Forgiveness and grace all that you offer us for the freedom that we have in you for being able to have access to you we're delighted that when we come in confession we can walk away the chains broken and in freedom serve you and so help us to walk that way this morning in jesus name i pray offers what every individual on this planet is searching for and every major religion of the world is looking for and what offers us in Christ and we offer that to the world and they can't find it without him. So what you understand and what you have received and what you have found in Christ, you have the greatest message on the planet. Pass it along. We can pray for you in any way. We'd love to do that. So you come while everyone goes. We believe in anointing with oil praying for those who are sick among us. We'd love to do that if you're here this morning. 
there's other things we can do, please let us know. God bless you. Have an incredible day. My change.